Today's scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish men, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not but by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luciana. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, would you meet us through your word this morning? Would you challenge us? Would you transform us and change us? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Not like idols, little statuettes that have little carved eyes but can't actually see, little carved ears but can't actually hear anything. No, make us alive through your word and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing uh, to look at the New Testament book of James this winter. James is actually, we're going to go through about mid to late spring. James is going to take us through mid to late spring. But if you've been here a while with us, you'll be glad to hear we're picking up this pace. It took me about 10 weeks to preach through James chapter 1. It's going to take me about 12 weeks to preach through James chapters 2 through 5. So we're going to go four times faster. uh, And there was a collective sigh of relief. Um, And James 2 starts to explore. There are three main themes that James wants to explore. And he really talks about how they're all woven together. James 2 is all about the things we do, especially how we approach the poor. And he said last week that the way we approach and treat the poor is a significant indicator of what's going on inside of our lives. Today, he kind of continues on that theme. 
Now, we tend to get hung up. This is, a, if you've spent a lot of time in church, you've uh, heard this, you know, the, the very famous faith without works is dead. You've heard that. You've probably heard lots of sermons about it and read about it. And we get so hung up on that that we forget that this is part of a bigger picture. The bigger picture is what? Well, last week, James said, don't treat some people better than others because some are wealthy and some are not. And we could fill in a number of other blanks there because some are more attractive versus someone who's less attractive because some are more successful or powerful. However you choose to fill in those blanks, James says a heart that is being changed by Christ, a mature Christian heart, is one that as much as possible treats everybody the same because God has treated us favorably as well. So don't forget the context that this falls into. But the point of what he's saying is it's actually really simple. And in some ways, it's a little tricky to, to preach a sermon about something so simple because all he's, I mean, you, you, even as Luciano was reading, you got it, you heard it. What we do matters. That's the big point of what he's saying. And if you don't come away with anything else, I mean, I could probably stop right there and we could all get out of here for early brunch. What you do matters as a Christian. We're going to use the word works sometimes, um, especially if you've been in church for a long time. If you're used to the King James Bible, James says, faith without works is dead. Works is a little abstract for us. Maybe actions is a better translation. Basically means the same thing. I'm going to try to use actions, but if you hear me say actions, or if you hear me say works, or if you hear me say deeds, it's, it's all the same thing. We're not differentiating between those. The simple idea is this. Faith without action is dead. And this week, just like last week, James has done a lot of my work for me by giving me my illustration. So here, listen, listen to how he starts. He says, suppose. So he's just, this, has, this hasn't actually, he's not talking about a literal instance, although I'm sure that these kinds of things did happen in the early church as well. So imagine, he says, imagine with me a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. They don't have enough food just for today. If one of you says to him, well, go, I I wish you well. Keep warm and be well fed. In today's parlance, in today's Christian world, we would say, if, if you see somebody who's cold and hungry and say, you know what, I'm praying for you. What good is that? In the same way, James says, faith by itself, that's an important line, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's a little bit of a ridiculous example. We, I, I think, I hope, <laughs> we hope this is a ridiculous ex- We hope that none of us would actually see somebody shivering on the sidewalk and just walk by. We hope that none of us, now he's actually, he says it's a brother or sister, so it's another Christian. So this is an even more personal connection. We hope that if if we found out that somebody else in our church family was hungry and literally didn't have enough food for groceries, that we would do more than just say, brother, sister, go in peace. We hope. (laughs) I mean, it's almost such an effect. It's almost funny how offensive the example is when you really think about what's going on. But his main point is simple. What what good is that? What good is that? Now, on the one hand, we're not, I'm not looking to, to offend. 
I'm not looking to unnecessarily step on toes. I do think this, this passage is challenging. And so I hope that you'll, you'll let yourself be challenged by what we dig into this morning because through the scripture and the spirit, God, does, he challenges us. If we never let ourselves be challenged, then we reveal that we're actually pretty hardened. So my, my challenge this morning is, is let, and this is not, hopefully, this is not Pastor Chris challenging you. This is really God through James. Let the Holy Spirit challenge you. Think. The, 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 main, the main kind of, the fulcrum that James uses in terms of his argument is this, and it's very, very practical because James is just very practical and hard-hitting. He says, you show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You say, I have, you have faith, I have, or you have works, I have faith. I, you know, you do more stuff. I'm, I'm more introverted and introspective. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Is it possible to have faith without works, without actions? With, is it even possible? We have to ask. Think about what that might look like. The more I've thought about this, the more I'm convinced it's actually not possible. There, that there's no such thing as a strictly private faith, not true faith. Even if there were, so even if there were, you wouldn't be able to prove it because to prove something, you have to demonstrate it and it becomes external and the only way you can prove something is through what you, what you do. So even if you think it's possible, there's no way for you to prove that you have faith without works. You, you actually can't, James is saying, believe in Jesus and not have it change really every part of your life. Think about it. One of the core things we believe as Christians is that the Bible, because it's God's word to us, has authority in our lives. So we take it seriously. It's not just an interesting historical document. So when, so when you read your Bible, what do you do? You come across places where it says, do this and don't do that. And if you look at all of the do's and don'ts, the commandments, the prohibitions, what do you see? What are the types of commands we see? We see um, uh, worship together regularly with the saints. And worship is always talked about, not in an individual sense, but, but together. We see commands in the Bible that say things like care for the poor. We see, um, think about the Ten Commandments maybe. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. What do all of those things, what do all of those commands have in common? Every one of them is external. It's all about what you do. You, you, can't, you can't obey the command not to lie without there being somebody else there. You can't obey the command to honor your father and your mother without a father and a mother there to express that with. In fact, I think you could make the case that every single command in Scripture is external. It's about what we do. He says there's, there's actually no such thing as private faith. 
Now, I need to distinguish just a little bit between private faith and personal faith. And maybe that's an artificial distinction, but that language helps me, and I hope it helps you. There is such a thing as personal faith in the sense that that you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, with Jesus himself even. But there's no such thing in the scriptures as private faith, as faith that I hold on to and, and I never express it or share it in any other setting. True faith, James says, inevitably pours over and spills over. I've, I've, heard, um, I've heard people use this phrase every now and then. And, I, and I, again, I don't, I don't mean to, to say this in an attacking way, but um, I've heard people say like, oh, I'm just, I'm keeping the faith. And I always think, what does that mean? Like, I'll ask them, how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm keeping the faith. What? Okay. Like, what is, that's the best, the best I can come up with. Like, okay, so you have this, this vague internal faith, but what is, I don't even understand what that means. On its own, I don't think it much means anything. To which James says, show me your faith apart from your works. Pro tip, you actually can't. I will show you my faith, what I believe, by my works. He's looking for a faith that works. Because when we believe in Jesus, when you actually realize and believe that he came and lived and died and rose again, and that, that somehow through his death on the cross that your sins are forgiven, and through his resurrection from the dead, you are raised to new life with him, how can that not change you? Like, the more we believe, the more we become changed. It becomes external, and, and our actions start to betray that. There's one example that jumped to mind for me this week in John 8. You remember the story in John 8? Um, Jesus is teaching in the, I don't remember if it's the temple or the synagogue, and uh, some people bring to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And Jesus just brilliantly um, kind of sends everybody off. He says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then what does he say to you? He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. In that moment, she had an, an, a, a completely, she, according to Old Testament law, she deserved to be stoned to death. And yet Jesus, in his incredible grace, essentially forgives that sin. But what inevitably comes after it? Go and sin no more. A life change. Our faith can't be strictly private. Our, our faith can't. There, there is actually one exception. And James tells us that ex- there's one exception, there's one instance where faith can be strictly private. Look at verse 19. If you still have your Bible open or the program, you believe that there is one God. In other words, you believe the right thing. You have, you have good belief, good faith, internal faith, so to speak. He says, good Today we'd say, good for you. This is James getting very sarcastic. Even the demons believe that and tremble. I thought about titling the sermon um, Demon Faith this morning, but I thought maybe that was a little too provocative. But to, to those who insist on faith being private, on separating their faith from the rest of their lives, James says, that's the kind of faith that, that a 
a demon. Even demons, especially, James says, demons believe the right thing about God. Would you believe that? It just struck me this week. I'm not totally sure I can say that. With 99% certainty, I can say Satan has better theology than you do. You ever thought of that? He knows more about God than you. He believes more true things about God than you. He knows God. He knows about God far more than any of us can. He believes. It hasn't changed him, we might say. Or we might say it has, but in all the wrong ways. Even the demons believe, James says, and they tremble. They, like, they tremble. They're, they're confronted with the reality, the awesomeness, the immensity of God, and they shudder. Their knees get weak. Just believing the right thing is not enough. Because what, I hope, what sets us apart from the demons it's not our theology. It's not our, the things we believe, the things we know about God. It's the fact that Jesus is changing our lives. How do you know you're different? It's almost a silly question. And it's not almost. It is a silly question. How do you know you're different from a demon? Like, look, at, look, at, look at what flows out of you. You see? Not just that we know about God, because knowing about God doesn't cut it. We know God, and we are known by God. I could learn an awful lot about my wife, Jamie, without having had to marry her. We could have been friends, and we could have, you know, I don't know, done, you know, done stuff together and interacted, and I could have learned all of this about her. But there's a difference There's a tremendous difference in knowing about her and in knowing her. And through marriage and through knowing her and being known by her, it actually changes me. She would tell you, for the better. (laughs) She's not here. Our kids have the sniffles. I think she's watching, so. (laughs) If our faith doesn't change us, what good is it? What good is it? James gives two uh, illustrations. Now, James, uh, he's writing to Jews. It's important to remember. It's, it's a very Jewish-sounding letter in terms of its tone and its feel and its language. And so he gives two examples that, especially to a good Jew, are really going to catch their attention. First is Abraham. Abraham, uh, is, Abraham is like the Jewish, uh, think George Washington. Everybody loves George Washington, Right? Like, we, we know him, we know the stories, we know the cherry tree, even though it's apocryphal and probably not true, and we know the first president, and we're reminded of him because he's on our money, and he's, he's one of those just beloved central figures in our nation. Abraham is that, dare I say, even to a greater degree, to a Jew. And he mentions this story of Abraham, Now, I don't want to get lost in the weeds of the story of Abraham. To modern listeners, we hear the story that James is about to reference, and we think, why and how and isn't God cruel? And we're not going to get into it. 
other than to say, um, we, we don't understand everything about what James is talking about here. And if you have to understand everything about God in order to trust God, then you're not actually letting God be God. If God has to, if God owes you answers and explanations, then you're actually positioning yourself above him. So, so, so as we get into the, briefly the story of Abraham, just, just hold loosely, like we, we don't know. <laughs> and there's an appropriate posture of humility in a, in a very touchy, sensitive, difficult story. Why does James bring up Abraham? Well, in Genesis 22, God tests Abraham's faith by asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, like literally kill him on an altar. And Abraham goes along all the way until he's just shy of finishing what God asked him to do, and God intervenes at the last possible moment and spares his son's life. Now James writes this, Do you want evidence that faith without action is useless? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham righteous? Wasn't he considered righteous when he did what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. In other words, James's point is this, that Abraham could say he believed God all he wanted. He could say he's a man of God and he's following God and all he wanted, but this event proved his faith. The author of Genesis actually in that story says God tested Abraham's faith. That's how he starts the story. That word for test, it's like a stress test. Um, It's the same word, so if you're, um, I'm just imagining this, I'm not a mountain climber, but if you're a mountain climber and you need rope and you need rope that can hold a certain amount of weight, say you need like a 500, rope that'll hold 500 pounds of whatever, and you go out to the, the rope store and you buy your rope, And there are two packages, and one says, this rope has been tested and holds 500 pounds. And the other one said, we're pretty sure this one will hold 500 pounds. Which one are you going to buy? Well, the rope on your left has been tested. What does that actually mean? It means that before they put the rope in the package, they strung up the rope and they hung a 500-pound weight on it and they proved it. That puts stress on the rope. That, that put tension on the rope. They tested the rope. But because the rope was tested, you know it's good. And I know you know it's good because that's the one you're going to buy. You see? God tested Abraham, the author of Genesis says. Until that test, Abraham could say, of course I have faith. But who knows? This rope might say, yeah, of course I can hold 500 pounds, but who knows, you see? But when his faith was tested, when an incomprehensible strain was put on his faith and it held, then he knew. James asked, do you you want to know if your faith is real? By the way, if you're thinking the gears are churning in James, you might remember back to to James 1 when James says, consider it joy 
when you experience trials, which is the same word as tests of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. James says, do you want to know if your faith is real? Look to what comes out of you. Look to your actions. You can say anything. You can claim anything. But your actions reveal what's inside. Now remember, James is writing mostly to Jews. And so uh, writing to Jews about Abraham is like writing to Americans about George Washington. We're all on board. Yeah, we love that guy. Then he turns the table and he says, now let's think about Rahab. If you read the first few chapters of Joshua in the Old Testament, Here's what we meet about, know about Rahab. We meet Rahab. She lives in a city called Jericho. She is a, uh, by profession, well, let's call her a member of the world's oldest profession. She's also directly responsible for the Jews being able to enter the promised land. So James says this, in the same way, was not even Ra- and I love, was not even Rahab. Now he's writing to Jews, so he just had to say Rahab, but he specifies just to drive home this point. In the same way, wasn't even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? And as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without actions is dead. This is one of those record-scratching, like screech-to-a-halt moments. Abraham... Rahab? It's not so much comparing apples to oranges as like apples to cinder blocks. I don't know. What do Abraham and Rahab have in common? Both demonstrated what they believed internally through what came out externally, through their obedience to God. We can say we believe all we want, but when our lives don't reflect the holiness of God, we have to ask, what does my life show instead? If you want to frame it negatively, you could frame it this way. When I watch what everyone else watches, and when I speak like everyone else speaks, and when I spend my time how everyone else spends their time, and when I spend my money the way everyone else spends their money, and when I prioritize what everyone else prioritizes, and when I deprioritize what everybody else in the world deprioritizes, what is that saying about me and about what I really believe? Faith without works is dead. It's, it's a simple message, really, you see? But I hope it challenges us to consider especially to consider this. Where in my life, where in my life is the Holy Spirit urging me or nudging me to demonstrate my faith? This doesn't necessarily mean, you know, being someone who brings your Bible to, you know, puts your Bible right on your desk at work or very overtly. Let me just, let me just share one story that I heard uh, just a couple weeks ago, and this is just really lingered with me of, of what this might look like. This was told by a, um, a pastor of a church in New York City, and he said a, a new woman had come to the church, and so he was, just met her, and what, what brings you here? And she said, well, my, my boss at work, 
He said, what do you mean? She said, well, I, um, I just got a job for a major, one of the big three-letter networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, I don't remember which one. I just got a job for one of these major, it's a really good job, it's a major step up in my career. And I got the job, I don't know, a few months ago, and a few weeks ago, I, I made a really big mistake at work. Just an incredible, like, like one of those, this is going to cost me my job mistakes. And the, and the company lost, I mean, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars because I just, I just goofed. And my boss sat down with me and I just knew. He said, we need to meet. And we sat down together and he said, um, I just knew I'm going to lose my job. And I didn't. And I thought, that's, that's a little odd. But I thought, okay, well, what? thank you. <laughs> she said, about a week later, I found out that I should have lost my job and that my boss's boss thought I should have lost my job. But I found out, because, you know, through the grapevine and people talk and, and things like that, that my boss had actually gone to his boss and said, I know she should lose her job, but, but it's really my fault because she's new and I didn't train her right and I should have and, and, and this and that and the other. And let, me, let me hold on to her. She said, so I went back to my boss and I said, I heard about what you did. I heard about how you, every, I've never heard of this. Like, I've had a lot of other bosses take credit for my successes, but they all pin my failures and their failures squarely on me. I've never had a boss turn the tables, and, and he took credit for my failure and pinned the success on I've never had somebody take credit for my failure before. Why? And the boss said, I, don't worry about it. And she said, I really pressed in. And I said, no, 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 I need to know. Like, nobody does this. Why? He said, no, just don't worry about it. She said, no, I, I got to know. I'm not leaving until I find out. You know what her boss said? He said, I'm a Christian. If you really need to know, I'm a Christian, and I, I believe that, that Jesus paid the penalty for my failure, and so I want to live in ways that, that help do the same for others. Faith without action is dead. That's what it looks like. It's just one example, but that's what it looks like for your faith. That, that, that's a live faith. That's not dead faith. How does our faith affect how we live? And are we willing, do we dare, we might ask, to let our faith seep into every part of our lives, not necessarily in obvious ways, but are we listening and looking for ways that the beauty and the glory of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus change us and through us change our environments? The reality is Jesus died so that our faith would work, so to speak. And isn't it a good thing? Isn't it a good thing? Let's just close with this thought. That Jesus didn't say, I, man, I, I made the world. Remember John 1, through he, he made everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And I made everything, and man, I love them. But I just, ah, I'm going to keep that to myself. You imagine if Jesus kept his love for us private? He didn't. He didn't stay up in heaven disconnected from the world he had made and which has been broken by sin and said, man, I love y'all. Good luck figuring that out. 
No. Far from it. He put on his boots and his work gloves and he came to earth and he showed his love. Love that was proven by action, that was tested, that was put under an incredible strain. The greatest strain you and I could, could, we, we we can't imagine what a great strain that was for him. He proved it through the most profound action that he gave his life. That Jesus died, Jesus took on our sickness to heal us from the sickness of sin. You see, Jesus was broken so that our broken lives might be put together. Jesus died so that we might have life. That's that's love that works, faith that works. Greater love has no man than this, that we lay down, that he lay down his life for his friends. You see, the key to doing all of this, I'm going to say this a lot in this series, I say it a lot anyway, the key to this is not just trying harder, trying harder to behave better or be more moral or just trying to follow God's commands better. It's not just, just buckling down. It's not achieved through effort at all. It's, it's actually, it's received through grace. And the more we look at Jesus, the more we look at the cross, the more we remind ourselves that he gave himself for us, the more our faith will inevitably become action. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's not just a nice story. It's not just some hollow, thin inspiration. It will change our lives. May it change our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, would you change our lives through the power of of the story of Jesus. We know that words change us. We know that stories change us. So help us to see the person and the story and the event of Jesus more and more every day. And would it change us? And yes, would it deepen the roots of our faith so they might sink even deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil of our lives, but would it also bear fruit? Just like a healthy tree has both deep roots and luscious fruit, give us deep roots and vibrant fruit. Change us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.